All right, B&B fans, we are live, episode 25, and it is time for playoffs, and I can't wait to dive in as I'm repping the number one overall seed in the NBA for the first time, my Utah Jazz. But before we talk basketball, UFC, NFL, and everything else, we're going to talk field supplements, baby. If it's not broken, why fix it? That's the inspiration behind Field Supplements' newest product, Creatine Monohydrate. Why take creatine? Well, creatine monohydrate is one of the most well-researched and effective natural supplements available for increasing muscle performance. Creatine enhances performance by supplying a pool of ATP, which acts as a muscle's tissue's primary energy source for fuel during explosive bursts of energy, power, and strength. It's 100 servings, non-GMO, gluten-free, safe and effective. You know the deal, guys. Use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off at FueledSupplements.com. All the products, 15% off, excluding whey protein. So go check them out. Share the word all over my social medias. And again, thank you guys, Field Supplements, for keeping me going and helping promote the word of Business and Buckets, the weekly sports podcast, and the monthly business episodes. Speaking of business episodes... Once this goes live, you guys will have episode 5 with my guy, one of my favorite all-time Grizz players, Montana Grizz football players of all time, Jamal Jones, one of the uh, leading receivers in Montana history, and he talks a little bit about his story, how he got to uh, being a, you know, a Power 5 transfer into the University of Montana life uh, with football after the Montana Grizzlies, and also how he's led into entrepreneurship and coaching career. So definitely make sure you guys tune in and hear his story. Take some learning tidbits away. Take some life lessons away. People helping people, learning from the successful people out there. I think that's what can impact us all. But let's talk sports, baby. You know, we'll start the show with the NFL. Coming off the uh, schedule release and the draft, there's not a ton of NFL news. But there were some interesting transactions happening. As we still have quite a few free agents that are on the team. A lot of teams with their draft picks now are trying to figure out what they have, who they got. And we'll probably sign a lot more of these vets. But the 49ers signed Marquise Lee. He had opted out last year and got cut from his team. So the 49ers adding another quality receiver to a young receiving core. And potentially a new rookie quarterback at the helm here down the road. Ryan Kerrigan, one of my favorite edge rushers in the NFL for quite a while now. Signing with the divisional rival Eagles. You know, supposedly the Bengals and my Pittsburgh Steelers have a lot of inter have had a lot of interest in him. Golly, would I love to see the Steelers sign this guy. Uh, but why not play in the NFC East? It's a dumpster fire division. Your stats will be padded. Uh, and you get to run, uh, run up against the team that didn't sign you. So I don't blame them. Huge acquisition for the Eagles. And then Brian Hoyer going right back to the Patriots for quarterback depth. And then Kelvin Benjamin being signed to the Giants as a tight end, which is a very interesting move. And I forgot last week we didn't even talk about Tebow. Fucking Tim Tebow going to play tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I won't put as much press into this as the big stations do. I don't think he's even going to make it onto the roster. But I know that a lot of players are upset because he's taking a position of a young up-and-coming you know, player that has an opportunity. And that's a roster spot being taken away. The guy hasn't played football in a decade. It's more about his name, his athleticism, and his hypotheticals. Urban Meyer is trying to keep Jacksonville relevant. I think that's why he's signed there. He's making all these splash plays. Are they all very logical, though? Travis Etienne, first pick overall? Mm, doesn't make quite much sense to me. Signing Tim Tebow and pissing your locker room off? Mm, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. 
I think Urban Meyer's in for more than he signed up for and probably why he avoided the NFL for so long. You can't just make splashy plays like you do in college to get the job done. So Urban Meyer, RIP, too soon. Well, that's about it in the NFL world. So we're going to talk UFC because, God dang it, every fucking week there's just great fights. Every week, I know that I had just come back from Hawaii, got to do uh, a another little fun weekend, but I had to watch the fights, right? This was a big fight card. We had UFC 262 um, with lots of different action happening. So before we dive into that, just a couple quick headlines in the UFC. Not a lot of big uh, fights being announced this week, but there was Uriah Hall versus Sean Strickland, two ranked fighters in the middleweight class. Uriah Hall obviously not really getting to fight against... Um, oh, why am I blanking on his name? Against Chris Weidman as he had fractured his leg on a leg kick right out the gates and never got that fight going, so obviously he can turn around to fight pretty quickly. And Sean Strickland on a pretty impressive win streak. He's number 11 ranked fighter in the fight uh, in the weight class as of today. And then also, this isn't 100% set in stone, but most likely the rest of the fight nights throughout the rest of the year will be happening at the Apex. That's the small octagon, the no fan zone in the UFC Apex, which doesn't really make too much sense to me as, you know, Vegas, most of the casinos just announced no mask, vaccine things. So I was hoping that we'd get some more, you know, spread of the wealth for fans being able to be able to go watch fights in person and potentially be in other locations but it's probably a safe play until this shit gets figured out so UFC fight nights happening in the apex the rest of 2021 but let's talk 262 things got started off pretty early in the prelims I got my ass whooped in a controversial pick for me right out the gate for my first parlay I had originally taken Andrea Lee but changed up and went over to Antonina Shevchenko. Well, Andrea Lee really whooped her ass. Round two submission. Lee was the aggressor through most of this fight and seemed to easily have the power and grappling advantage. Antonina, much like her sister, has nice precision and quickness. But when the when Lee is being the aggressor, pushing the pace, and clearly taking control of the octagon and winning in the power category, there wasn't too much Antonina could do. Um, she's long and lanky. Uh, Shevchenko is, but doesn't have anywhere near the power of Lee. Looking at these fighters going onwards, any one of the top 10 I think would be great for Lee. I would like to see her fight Alexa Grasso, another um, pretty good prospect in this division. I think that would be a great stylistic matchup. If we look at the rankings right now, we have... Let's see... Antonina fell down to 15... Andrea Lee is 11 and Alexa Grasso is 10, so a nice little 10-11 matchup I think would be in store. And obviously this is a tough loss for Shevchenko. She's still in the top 25 or top 15, uh, but I'm sure she'll be looking out, looking at a fight outside the top 25. And she's fought quite a few people within the division and people ranked ahead of her. Another good prelim fight, we had Andre Munez. Round one submission of Jacare Souza. I had picked Ronaldo Jacare Souza in this fight, so I started 0 for 2 on my night. This fight never really got established. Uh, at the end of the first round, Souza got caught in his this, you know, basically leg clamp and hold that um, Munez had had in this 50-50 um, position. And as he tried to rip his arm out and get things going, it just got deeper in. And he snapped his arm right here above the elbow, and you could just hear it go, 
like a piece of wood. It was pretty crazy if you're lighthearted for things like that. You know, it was a tough, uh, tough thing to watch as they showed the replay quite a few times. But hey, you know, Sousa's 41 years old right now. I don't know how much left he's going to have. He's going to have at least a six-month recovery period here. I'm not sure what his UFC contract is at hold, you know, if he has many more fights on his contract. Uh, but he's lost four in a row now. And then Muniz, I don't, you know, I'm not too high on this guy, but he's now on a seven-fight win streak, and three of those are in the UFC, so he'll be able to continually move up the ranks and get a tougher competition. And then moving to the main card, we had... What I thought would be fight of the night, and was fight of the night. We had Edson Barboza with the third round knockout of Shane Burgos. I knew this would be a banger, and boy, did it deliver. Barboza at featherweight is different. I'm telling you. I had no idea that this guy could keep cutting weight. If you look at him, he's fucking shredded. He's fast. He's powerful. But the rest of the featherweights better take notice as he is out on a vengeance for one more title contention run. Hard bombs and kicks thrown from both fighters. Shane Burgos from his last fight over a year ago with Mr. Clean Josh Emmett. Being a banger, this delivered, and he had back-to-back -back bangers. Uh, this time he is taking another close loss, which has to be tough. But this fight was not the normal knockout. Um, throughout the fight before the knockout, Burgos was really chipping away at Edson Barboza's calf and lower leg, and you could tell that he was not able to put as much power on it. But Barboza's a dog, man. This guy's a veteran. He's been through damage. He's got a lot of grit, and you could tell he was fighting through that and even landing some kicks of his own. Barboza landed 98 significant strikes to Burgos's 80, so there was quite a bit of damage handled both ways. And one of the weirdest knockouts I've ever seen. Barboza landed a clean right, and I mean a wipe your clock clean right to Burgos. And he just took it on the chin. You could see the replay, his face got smushed in, and he was able to shake it off and do you know the couple little shimmies and bounce him back to back. And then all of a sudden he starts falling backwards and his, his eyes rolled back, and he got fell down to the cage. Barboza landed a couple more and was knocked out. I've never seen such a delayed reaction to a knockout like that. Usually when you come over the, hop, the top, hit the guy on the chin, right once their head snaps, they're done and their body, you know, T-Rexes, lawn chairs, whatever the situation is, depending where they're out in the cage. Well, Barboza did, or uh, Burgos didn't even, like, blink an eye. He just kept going, and then all of a sudden, it, like, had caught up to him. And even Burgos was like, I don't even know what the hell just happened. So that was wild, and I've never seen something like that in my UFC fandom career. Both fighters were shocked. Uh, but this delivered, got fight of the night. Barboza now up to number nine in the rankings, and Burgos falls to 13. I mean, so many cool things that can happen for these guys and, and good fights coming up. Two tough losses for Shane, but I'm sure he'll be causing chaos and having banger alerts you know, throughout his career still, as he's still got a lot of years left. And I'm assuming he's still fighting the top 15. I would like to see Barbosa versus Hakeem Dawudo or Sadiq Youssef, who are also some young prospects in the division. But if we look at this division, I mean, you got Hakeem 15th, Mazvar is 14th, Shane Burgos, Bryce Mitchell, Sadiq Youssef, Giga Chikadze, Edson Barbosa, Dan Ige, Arnold Allen. So maybe even with Barbosa, an Arnold Allen fight would be really good as he's just had a couple impressive wins. Or even Giga Chikadze. Um, I would rather see Arnold Allen personally, but I think these would be great fights. There's lots of different opportunities out for them. 
Uh, for Burgos and Barboza, all I know is their next fights, I'm fucking tuning in. I'll tell you what. Caitlin Chukagian with a unanimous decision over Vivian Arahu. I thought this unanimous decision was disrespect in this fight. I thought clearly Vivian had won round two. And with me losing in the first two fights, my parlays were out. I had made another parlay to try to get my money back. And uh, obviously I needed Chukagian to win. And when they started unanimous, when they said unanimous, my heart sunk because I thought clearly there was no way that she had lost round two. But I guess total strikes, total control, that third round was very dominant. They gave her the unanimous decision. I assumed she was going to win, but that definitely scared the shit out of me. Vivian, though, what a nice up-and-coming prospect she is. She was the aggressor and clearly the more powerful fighter through two rounds. In the second round, she had took Caitlin down and was landing some ground and pound on the top. Somehow, Chukagian was able to get out, battled her way, and when she got back up to her feet, clearly had more air and more cardio and more energy left than Vivian did. If she was dead, Chukagian started picking her up, picking her apart a little bit, but for some reason wasn't able to finish her because she was landing some serious punches and Vivian like wasn't even hopping like she was. She was just sitting there looking like a zombie. Just straight gassed. She continues to be the gatekeeper Chukagian does in this division. She's still ranked number two. She's fought damn near everyone in the division and can't beat the, the ladies ranked ahead of her. Um, it's hard to know what is next as she's lost to both Andraj and Shevchenko, and I doubt that they're going to want to fight her. So maybe she'll get somebody that she hasn't fought, like Lauren Murphy. Well, she fought her back in 2016, but she's a ranked fighter in that division that, you know, seems to be a uh, good competition as she is ranked. Number three. She's already fought uh, Jennifer Maya. I mean, she's fought everybody, so I don't really know what can be next for her. I don't know if she, you know, is able to change divisions and cut or what that situation looks like. Um, but Vivian, maybe I think what would be a good fight is she could also take on someone who just lost, Antonina Shevchenko, uh, who was on the same card, and they haven't fought each other. That would be a fun matchup. But watch out for Vivian. I think she's going to be making moves. And to me, it was pretty impressive in this fight against a very well-rounded, smart and strategic fighter in Caitlin Chukagian. <clears throat> Moving to the flyweights, we had two flyweights that are keeping this division alive. Rogerio, Rogerio Bonatorin with a unanimous decision over Matt Schnell. Bonatorin didn't make weight and clearly looked bigger than Matt. Supposedly, he had only weighed in a pound over, so he had to give up some of his purse. But they said he supposedly, on fight day, walked around at 165. The fact that you're making 125 pounds and putting 40 pounds on, that is bizarre. But you could see the thickness and just the overall mass that Bonatorin had over Schnell. He looked like he was, you know, in two divisions higher. It was pretty wild. Uh, Rogerio, though, within this fight was, again, just like the other fights, was the aggressor and more powerful striker. Schnell had his moments, but Bonatorin was just too much. He was able to pick his spots, but the power and the overall whelming, uh, overwhelming positions that he was in, definitely, you know, you, you knew he was going to win this fight. Schnell had 113 total strikes versus Ruggiero's 89, but Ruggiero had 72 significant strikes to Schnell's 65. So what's next for these guys? Well, the flyweight class, right, there's, there's not a ton of depth here, but I think Bonatorin with some impressive wins and... You know, he was beating Kai Kara France until he had pulled out Wizardry and got that win. I think it would be great maybe to fight the vet, uh, Joseph Benavidez, who's ranked 5th. Because Bonatorin is now 8, Schnell's 9. They just swapped. 
Um, I would love to see Schnell versus Tim Elliott, who is now ranked number 10. I think stylistically, motor-wise, volume-wise, that would be a must-see fight. So I really hope that the matchmakers in the UFC make that fight happen. And then the co-main event. We had Benil Dariush, unanimous decision over Tony Ferguson. A little bit more uh, decisions than I expected in this card. But this fight what went as expected to me. It, you know, the things that I didn't want to believe with Tony Ferguson seemed to be coming to fruition. It seems like he's just taken too much damage, right? He's been an OG. He's been fighting the top-level competition and the top five of this division for a long time. And those last two couple fights were pretty brutal with Charles Oliveira destroying him and Justin Gaethje just piecing him up. So Dariush stuck to the game plan, right? Stuck to his strengths. Let's take the guy down. Um, <laughs> put him in a crazy hill hook. And crazy-ass Tony Ferguson did not tap. And Darius said he could feel, uh, hear a pop, you know, potentially his knee. The next round, you could tell Tony couldn't put any weight on it. But he's just tough, son of a bitch. He won't tap. Uh, you know, you always see the memes on MMA Twitter. Like, Tony Ferguson would be a guy to break both of his arms before a fight so you can't. Or, you know, break his arms so you can't tap him out. That's really Tony Ferguson. But I think that's affected him to this point in his career because he's had so much damage that... You know, you, uh, our human body can only take so much. I don't think Tony is completely done, and he has made a post, uh, might have been today, on IG talking about not being done. He's pissed. You know, I don't care how pissed you are. Your fucking body's shut down. Uh, but he's going to continue to fight. I want to see him fight lower level people, though, not top five, even top ten at this point, uh, because this could, you know, more damage could really fuck a guy like him up who's taken so much damage before. Uh, I was thinking maybe right at the bottom of the division, somebody like a Diego Fajeda, who has had a couple losses of his own, still looks very competitive, or Drew Dober, uh, who is now entering the top 15. I'm sure he's got to be stoked about that. So, you know, I'd love to see him fight somebody like that. It'll still be fireworks. We're still tuning in. We're still rooting for Tony, but I don't have to worry about him getting CTE or being carted off the octagon. And then Benil, all the way up to number three. He has been begging for high-level opponents. He's been saying he's earned it. He's not a media, build-my-brand type of guy. And now he gets the opportunities he's seeking. I would love to see him versus Dan Hooker or even Michael Chandler if he doesn't get a fight with Gaethje. Because I think the clear next fight in that division is Charles Oliveira versus um, the winner of Dustin and Connor. And then that puts Michael Chandler and Gaethje together. If for some reason that doesn't happen, Benil and Chandler will be a good uh, uh, matchup as well. Tony Ferguson falling out of the top five for a long time. Barely, though, at number six. And again, Benil, congrats. The number three spot next to your name. That's got to feel great. What a good fighter. Well-rounded, has bombs, can throw around, do the 50-50s, really great on the ground. It's going to be tough to beat Benil, and he's definitely like the underdog sleeper pick in this whole division. And then the main event, Charles Oliveira with the second round knockout of Michael Iron Chandler. Holy fuck, this was fireworks right out the gate. I was glued to the TV. The aggression that Chandler had was signature, the signature Chandler moves, with the power bombs that he does to close the distance. He looks like a fucking shark. He's shredded. He's got the nice the rib muscles, and he was coming out. Even when Oliveira had him in the ground, he was sticking to the ground and was just managing it. It was calm, cool, and collected, which I was very surprised about. But Chandler had Oliveira rocked. He had him down. He was throwing some ground and pound. 
and real time I thought it was his head bouncing like he was about to get knocked out but Oliveira was actually kind of dodging some of them and, and still had his head together but it went from almost knockout start a second round fucking Oliveira with the prettiest left hook just cleans Chandler doesn't fully knock him out but Chandler you could tell by the way he responded knew he was in trouble he tilted around tried to cover himself up against the cage Oliveira was able to land a couple more and that was it blouses on the night we have a new lightweight champion of the world Charles Oliveira the journeyman who's been in the UFC for over 10 years that nobody ever gave a chance and opportunity for I was calling him Charlie Olives I loved when Hooker was calling him Charlie Olives uh, but this is such a lovable guy. I think it's so cool that he could do it, but can he keep the belt? I don't think so. Uh, he had a nice parade in his hometown. It's a great story, but he's going to get the winner of McGregor and Poirier, and I think those guys are the better fighters. I also think Gaethje is a better fighter, and on most nights, I think Chandler would have won that fight as he did get caught, um, which, you know, that's part of the fight game. Uh, but bravo to him. He's deserved it, earned it, and I think he's a perfect face for this division. And hopefully he can keep some of these fuckers out of the championship, like McGregor. Well, hopefully Dustin fucks him up again. We don't have to worry about it. Um, but how about his 11 years in the UFC? His improvement has been so impressive, as he was always known as just a, a ground guy only. And is striking to land a powerful shot like that and fuck somebody up like Michael Chandler, who doesn't get fucked up very often. So yeah, Oliveira, winner of Dustin and Connor. Potentially Connor wins this though and says fuck you because the Charles Oliveira fight outside of being the title, it won't be a, a big payday for him. He might try to do something else. Um, but Chandler should fight Justin Gaethje. I think that's clearly the next fight. Uh, Gaethje's just sitting there, right? He's sitting there and he might be the best fighter that can beat all these guys as his last loss was to the one and only Khabib Nurmagomedov. So moving forward to this Saturday, we got another one coming up before a little break in the Saturday action. We got UFC Fight Night headlined by Rob Font, Cody Garbrandt, oh, also a banger alert. But in the prelims, we got Court the Crusher McGee, 36 years old with a 20 and 10 record, versus Claudia, Claudio the Hannibal Silva, 38 years old with the 14 and 2 record. Court himself, Ultimate Fighter alum, Purple Belt and BJJ, and Black Belt and Kaju Kimbo, but he's on a three-fight losing streak. Um, I've always liked him from The Ultimate Fighter. He came from Spokane, Washington, and kind of a local guy for, from where I've lived in Montana and Washington. So I always like rooting for him. Silva himself, kind of an interesting career. He had beat Leon Edwards via split decision in 2014, which is a high-level fighter, and then he was out four years due to injuries. He has a black belt in BJJ himself, but this fight, I think it's going to be a grind. You know, Claudio had missed a lot of his prime years. I'm interested to see how he will, will return, but I'm going to take Silva. Uh, McGee, I think, is as close to on his way out, but this will be a close grind. McGee, no matter if you're a young prospect, a proven veteran, he's going to bang, he's going to grind and go to the deepest, darkest places that he has to. And both of these guys could very well be potentially fighting with their career, even though Claudio is, you know, <laughs> only 14-2. and two. Uh, but he had gone through those years. You lose to a guy like Court and another guy, you could be on your way out. So a huge fight for both guys if they want to keep their fighting careers alive. Who wants it more? I'm going with Silva. And then we finally get to see Ben Rothwell, 39 years old with a 38-13 and 13 record, versus Chris Beast Boy Barnett, 34 years old with a 21-6 and 6 record. This is Barnett's first fight in the UFC. 
Rothwell was supposed to fight a couple of weeks ago. I had picked Rothwell in that fight. I'm taking him in this fight as well. Um, I, I can't remember if it was COVID or injuries that had pushed him out a new opponent, most likely COVID. Uh, he's had three other, uh, three other bouts, um, Chris Beast Boy has, that had gotten canceled. So he's been trying to get a UFC fight, just bad luck. Rothwell himself is a purple belt in BJJ. Um, he's got a BJJ and judo background and black belt in both. That This is Chris Barnett. Big Ben, I'm going to take him though. He's got the experience. He's still got the power that can clean anyone's clock. That's how it works in heavyweight. But I'm interested to see how this Beast Boy can manage as he's getting on the UFC a little later in his career, but seems to have some serious power himself. And then we have Ricardo Ramos versus Bill Algeo. Ramos is 25 years old with a 14 and three record. Algeo 31 years old with a 14 and five record. Ramos himself is a black belt in BJJ. He is definitely an up and comer, only 25 years old, which is pretty young. And this fight was supposed to happen a few weeks ago, but got pushed back. Algeo himself is one and one in the UFC. I'm gonna go with Ricardo Ramos. He's gonna look to add to his resume to move himself up into the ranks and become a, a nice bright prospect for Dana White and the UFC. Now moving to the main event, quite the first fight in the main event, we have Jack the Joker Hermanson, number seventh ranked fighter, 32 years old with a 21 and six record, versus Edmund the Golden Boy Shabazian, only 23 years old, the number 10th ranked fighter with an 11 and one record. This again was another fight that was supposed to happen a few weeks ago, got pushed out. Um, I, t I think I had talked about this for you guys in the pod, but I'm going to take Jack Hermanson in this fight. Another situation where he's fought a lot of high-level opponents in his day, still seems to have a lot of damage that can be taken, and he's just got the experience that Edmund doesn't. This is a big leap in competition for Edmund. Hermanson himself has a four-and-a-half reach advantage, and the Joker previously fighting at Bellator a few years back. He has fought a, a ton of big names in the UFC and is someone that nobody wants to fuck with. Edmund himself had lost to Derek Brunson in his last fight, who's definitely reviving his career. And he had beat Brad Tavares, but not many other high-level fighters within the UFC. So I'm taking the Joker. We have Felicia the Phenom Spencer, 30 years old, with an 8-2 record, versus Norma Dumont-Viana, 30 years old with a 5-1 record. I love Felicia Spencer. She's a black belt in BJJ and Taekwondo. Her only losses are against Chris Cyborg and Amanda Nunez. And she should be, this should be a very grinded and close fight as Felicia always puts herself in that and, and, and battles tough. I mean, you look at who she's fought I and mean, she's just been fighting really, you know, high level competition. But uh, Norma looks to be uh, a pretty good fighter as well. She's only 5-1, but she is 30 years old and has some uh, good experience. I'm going to take Felicia Spencer in this fight, but another very close fight that should be a fun one to watch. Then we have the co-main event. This is a very big fight for the um, women's strawweight division where Rose Namajunas is champ. You know, these two girls are, are really going to, you know, pave the way for how this division is going to go. Who's going to be fighting Rose? Who are the contenders and who's not? We have Yan Xingyan, the number third ranked fighter, 30 years, 31 years old with the 13-1 record. Versus one of the OG Ultimate Fighter alums, Carla Esparza, the number fourth ranked fighter, 33 years old with an 18 and six record. 
Esparza, if you don't know, she's an NAIA wrestler, or was an NAIA wrestler, and brown belt and BJJ. She's an OG to the women's UFC, and she had gone from Bellator to Invicta to um, winning the Ultimate Fighter and being the first champ in this division. She is now revitalizing herself a little bit on a four-fight win streak. She had been one of those people like Charles Oliveira, who was known for wrestling and, and the ground game, and wasn't much of a striker. Well, she's really improved there. Jan herself is on a six-fight win streak. A lot of decisions in both of these women's records, so I don't expect this to, to be you know a, a quick fight. But the winner's probably going to get a chance at the title. Esparza actually beat Rose in the Ultimate Fighter semifinals in 2014. Rose is very, very green, though, and, and raw. And, um, you know, that would be a fun rematch. I'm sure Rose would like to revenge that if she doesn't automatically uh, rematch Jean Wele. And then Yan is a pretty intriguing person. She hasn't fought a lot of the high-level names yet, but it looks impressive. I remember watching her last fight, and I was like, wow, she looks legit. Uh, so I am going to take Yang Shenyan. I think she's just going to have a little bit better of an edge versus Carla. Uh, she's also a little bit younger, um, and I think just has more momentum behind her. And then we got the banger alert. We got Rob Font, number third ranked fighter, 33 with an 18 and four record versus Cody No Love Garbrandt, the number fourth ranked fighter, 29 years old with a 12 and three record. Garbrandt, former champion in this division, was potentially gonna go down to flyweight, had COVID compl complications, seemed to be pretty nasty. You know, I'd love to see him, whether he wins or loses his fight, give an opportunity to fight Davison Figueredo, as I think that is the best competition for Davison at the moment. Uh, but Font has a massive six inch reach advantage here. He's a brown belt in BJJ and an orthodox fighter himself. Garbrandt, a former D2 wrestler. He's fighting at a Team Alpha Male, all that bullshit with him and TJ and the fight camps. You know, he, there's been lots of drama there. And he had, off that tough battle of COVID, been dealing with some weight issues and things. But I think he's fully healthy, right? That's why this fight's taken so long to happen, or it's been a while for Cody to come back. I don't think this is going to the distance, ladies and gentlemen. Somebody is getting finished, and someone's going to go out nastily. This is going to be highlight-worthy knockouts. I can't wait. Uh, the win gives the fighters a shot at the title, especially if they do it in that emphatic fashion. So expect fireworks. This is going to be fun. And enjoy it while we have it, because the next up on the schedule is UFC 263 three weeks later. Right, that's a sad, sad thing. Three Saturdays without the UFC. Well, on that card though, it's headline Marvin Vittori versus Izzy Adesanya, the rematch. That's gonna be awesome. Lots of good other fights, but that's a ways out. So we'll talk about that when the time comes. But it's NBA playoffs. It's happening right behind me right now. I put a little parlay in for the, the playing games. I was all excited. I mean, let me get a little update. Please myself here. I had picked the Hornets because I saw the news of Karis LeVert being out due to COVID, health and safety. And then, you know, Brogdon being a game time decision with all the injuries. I, I just saw it being Sabonis versus a bunch of shooters. I had bet the over. There's going to be no defense in this game. And currently the Pacers are up 29 points in the third. So there goes that. But I was not really caring about this game. I'm more excited about the Wizards and Celtics later, both on TNT. But let's backtrack. Let's talk headlines and what had happened last week since episode... Let's see, we're on what? This is episode 25, so episode 23. Well, the Jazz got the number one overall in the NBA for the first time in franchise history. 
How fucking awesome is that? Also, some random things that happen. Udonis has them getting back in one of the last regular season games for the Miami Heat. Got two points, I think two rebounds, lasted a whole two minutes. Doing some gangster shit. Someone had shoved him. He wasn't dealing with it. You know, he'll throw it down. He ain't afraid of shit. That's why D. Wade had him in his posse. That was his guy. Um, and he got ejected. So I had to bring that up because I thought that was really funny. The man's still in the league. He's still in the league getting paid. Love to see it. How about the Clippers avoiding the Lakers, losing games on purpose so they could match up against the Mavericks? Now they're going to get put in the Utah Jazz side, not the Lakers side. Um, obviously, you know, they don't want any of that smoke. I don't really necessarily blame them. Um, but they've been getting some media, you know, reaction to that, and uh, you know, as expected. But outside of that, Kyrie Irving joining the 50-40-90 club, which is 50% from the field, 40% from three, or better, obviously, and 90% on free throws. This is very efficient things. If you want to be a superstar, you want to be in Shane's, you know, naughty or good list, you shoot efficient like that, you're on the fucking good list. I love me some Uncle Drew. He also joined Steph Curry, Larry Bird, and KD. Again, Steph Curry, Larry Bird, and KD. Like, some of the GOATs. As the only players to do this while averaging 25-plus points a game. Bravo, Kyrie. Bravo. Bradley Bill, right? He's going to be playing tonight. His hamstring supposedly not 100%. He did end up scoring 25 points in the last game two days ago. He did look a little gimpy, though, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. The NBA or Basketball Hall of Fame announcing this year's inductees was very happy to see two gentlemen close to my heart. Chris Bosh getting in. Well-deserved, Mr. Chris Bosh. Jay Wright as a coach. I'm a Nova guy. You know I gotta love that. We also had some big names like Paul Pierce, Bill Russell as a coach. He's already been there, obviously. Rick Adelman, Ben Wallace, Yolanda Griffin, Chris Weber, another one of my all-time favorites. That Kings team was nasty back in the day. Ben Wallace, Lauren Jackson, Val Ackerman, Tony Kukoc, Pearl Moore, Howard Garfinkel, Cotton Fett Simmons, Bob Dandridge, and Clarence Jenkins inducted. What a big class, stacked class. Was just super happy to see Chris Bosh getting his due diligence. Steph Curry winning the scoring title again. Bradley Bill with the injuries and late season slump uh, um, had him losing out. And Steph Curry getting another award to put on his wall. Monty Williams announced his coach of the year. That, you know, ticks me a little way. The Jazz get number one in the NBA. Have really developed a program, a consistent program, when we were always the underdogs. If, if Quinn Snyder can't get coach of the year this year, it just seems like it's never going to happen. It seems like the press likes to see teams that go from shit to really good, such as the Suns. Monty Williams got it. Not saying Monty Williams isn't a great coach and doesn't deserve it, but definitely some shade at Quinn Snyder, in my opinion, in the Utah Jazz organization. But other awards that we should be seeing in my votes, Rudy Gobert should be unanimous Defensive Player of the Year for his third time. This guy makes a difference and is the gear that keeps the Jazz on going. Uh, we have Jokic should be front-runner for MVP, and I'm going to go with LaMelo, Rookie of the Year. The press loves that guy, even though I would probably say Anthony Edwards should get it at this point. I'm sure it will go to LaMelo. So last Thursday, I had come back from Hawaii and, and did the pod, launched it on Thursday for you guys. The Clippers beat the Hornets. Paul George putting up 20 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists. This guy's rolling, and if he could keep this going in throughout the playoffs, 
I think that Clippers team is going to be nasty. The Bucks beat the Pacers as Giannis going 40-15-6. and The Heat surprising the Sixers. Love to see it. Jimmy Butler leading the team with 21 points. Just a well-grinded-out performance by the, the Heat. And they're beating a lot of the big teams. They're getting hot like last year at the right moment and earning their way into the playoffs. Alec Burks getting hot off the bench going with 30 points, 10 rebounds to beat the Spurs as the Knicks get closer to that number four seed, which they end up locking up. And then the Suns escape the Blazers by one to have a shot at the number one overall, but they weren't able to do it. CP3 with 26.7 assists. And then on Saturday, the Lakers beat the Pacers as AD put up 28 and 10. They're going to need a lot more than that if they want to win the finals. The Knicks beat the Hornets as they drop another one. They had lost five straight into tonight, and some reason I had picked them. But again, you know, not knowing Brogdon's uh, game time decision, uh, no Karis LeVert. They were, you know, they're down a lot of players, so I, I didn't think it would be enough. Supposedly it is though, as they're just fucking fleecing the Hornets. Um, <clears throat> Julius Randle with 33, 10, and 13 in this game. They're going to need a lot of that triple-double action if they want to beat the Hawks. Devin Booker with 37 points in a victory over the Spurs. And then the Bucks beating the Heat without Jimmy. Uh, he sat out in this first-round preview. Middleton and Forbes with 21 points. The Clippers losing on purpose, like I said, to avoid the Lakers. Definitely intriguing stuff. And then on Sunday, the Knicks beat the Celtics with the starters rested. R.J. Barrett led with 22 points. And then the, Wiver, the Wizards give the Hornets another loss. Bill with 25 points to lead the Wizards with that bad hammy. And then the Suns beating the Spurs again without their starters. And Etwan Moore leading the team. The old vet off the bench, 22 points. And then the Warriors beating the Grizzlies to lock in a showdown with the Lakers. As Curry led the team, 46 points, 7 rebounds, 9 assists. Chef Curry cooking. And then the Blazers clinch number 6 as they beat the Nuggets behind CJ's 24 points. Let's just put up a lot of fun and a lot of good first round matchups that I had predicted and wanted to see to make this shit really get going. So let's talk what this looked like. So the play-in tournament today, Tuesday, TNT doubleheader. The playoff predictions that I had been talking about that actually the past two weeks were dead on. Except I didn't expect the Clippers to purposely lose and get the four seed, which they had done to avoid the Lakers. They now face, face the Mavericks, so I did get that wrong. I was hoping a little L.A. showdown, L.A. on L.A. first round that, that we missed out on. So this puts the play-in game as, as it sits. Hornets versus Pacers. You know, the Pacers being more well-rounded team. The Hornets on a five-game losing streak. And this going to be all offense would have pointed me to the Pacers, but I had switched off the Karis LeVert news. Hornets 2-1 versus the Pacers this year. I think that had a little something of me changing up my decisions as well. And then Brogdon actually playing. Let's see if he's doing anything. They're up 26 right now, late in the third. At the start of the game, Brogdon looked good. Yeah, 16 points, 9 assists. I mean, fuck, I wish I would have known he was playing. Uh, would have not made the bet on my parlay. I waited today to do the parlay just to make sure. Saw the <laughs> Karis LeVert news. I wish I would have just bet yesterday. Would have had the Pacers in the over that it seems like they're easily going to clear. And then tonight's game. What a fucking game this is. We got the Washington Wizards versus the Boston Celtics. One game. Doesn't mean you're eliminated though. Because the winner of this gets to play the winner of the Celtic or the Pacers and Hornets for the uh, eight seed. 
tough season for the Celtics to even find themselves in this position. I thought they were going to be some of the elite and probably top three seeds in the East. While the Wizards are 1-2 versus the Celtics this season, the Celtics have lost six of their last eight, and the Wizards have won four of their last six. This is going to be another all-offense. Defense don't exist here, except for Marcus Smart. Bradley, Bill, and Westbrook in one game, though, all without Robert Williams down low and Jalen Brown not defending, I think that will be too much as they will be able to clamp down on Kemba, and Jason Tatum's going to have to score 60 or a 50-burger for them to get the dub. So I'm going Wizards, which puts up a really fun Wizards number 7 seed versus Brooklyn Nets 2 seed. Russell Wellsbrook against KD and some of his former teammates. you got to love it. James Harden leading the point. That's going to be fun, even though I don't think it's going to go very far. You'll see fucking Russell Westbrook punch walls and dunk on bitches. So... That would make it Spurs versus Grizzlies in the West. Really, the Spurs are in because the other teams are a complete mess in the West. Outside of them, right? You get 10 in the West. So we're talking the bottom feeders. And the Pelicans just fucked it up. How they did not make it, I am still shocked. The Spurs are 1-2 versus the Grizz this year. The Grizz have been playing very well. They're one of those scrappy, grinded-out teams like they used to be. And more to play for, in my opinion, especially John Morant. Spreading his name, getting some playoff experience, looking good. And I think a big game is going to be in store for Jonas Valenciunas. So the Grizz won six of their last eight coming into the play-in. I'm obviously taking the Grizzlies. I think they win to face the winner, uh, the loser of the Warriors-Lakers. Which, NBA fans, who is not happy for this? We get Curry, LeBron in the play-in. I don't want to see the Warriors or the Lakers win a finals, but I want to see that matchup. This is going to be awesome. I can't wait to watch this tomorrow evening. This is what we all should have been wanting and waiting for. Bart Scott voice, can't wait. Well, the Lakers have more firepower, especially without Klay Thompson and James Weissman, but Curry is going to go off. The Lakers do have better defense and depth, so I think that's going to be enough. But can Curry put the team on his back and make shit happen? He's done it before. Why not? Well, I'm going Lakers in this one as the betting man, but I'm going to be tuned in for every minute of this one. So this will put the elimination games, Grizz versus Warriors. We literally just saw this this past weekend. Curry went off for 46 points in that game, and I think he'll do everything he has to do to make sure that he gets an opportunity at a series, even though they will be playing the 76ers as the 8 seed. That's something that he's going to want to do. The Celtics will play the well, play the Pacers, I thought would be the Hornets. Uh, Tatum and Kemba, I believe, will get the job done as they have the better players here um, to at least face the Nets. The way the Pacers are playing, you know, it makes you kind of wonder. Sabonis, you got to love them. Brogdon playing well. But the Hornets have absolutely no defense. Boston doesn't without Brown, but a little bit better than what I would assume the Hornets do. And the Hornets are just very unexperienced. 2-0 versus the, uh, I think they're 2-1 versus the Pacers this year. It's going to be a fun one, but I'm going to take the Celtics to get in as the um, 8 seed to face the 76ers. So first round preview. The Jazz versus the Warriors. Steph Curry is going to be a problem for the Utah Jazz, but the Utah Jazz have way too much depth. Even if Donovan Mitchell is, you know, kind of getting winged into this, as supposedly he's going to be practicing and getting his conditioning going up this week, I have the Jazz winning 4-1 to in this series and moving on to the next round. Then we have the Suns versus the Lakers. What a dandy this one will be. 
The Lakers are 4-3 and three versus the Suns this year. But with Drummond, AD, and all the size that they have down low with the defense, and if LeBron is anywhere over 90%, there's just too much firepower here, and it's experience versus inexperience. Sure, Chris Paul has experience. I love him as a player and as a leader, but I don't think that they're going to have enough to match up to the defending champion, Los Angeles Lakers. I'm going Lakers 4-3 in this series. I think it's going to be a close one, and I think the Lakers have a lot of things to work through with the injuries throughout the end of the year. Then that puts us with Nuggets versus Blazers. I'm going to go with the Blazers in this one. I think Dame Dalla is going to mold his legacy as one of the most fun playoff guys and underdogs in the first round history. And CJ McCollum has been looking really good. I don't think Denver has any defense that can stop these guys. So Jokic is going to have to put up massive numbers. And they're going to need Michael Porter Jr., who's never been anywhere close to a position that he is in now, to deliver offensively and defensively. And I'm not betting on that. Uh, Nurchik's back, and he seems to be in you know, former shape and, and what we ex usually expect out of um, Jokic or Nurkic. And I think he'll be able to slow down Joker just enough for them to get the series win. But I think this goes seven. I got Blazers 4-3 winning the series. And moving on, the Nuggets Western Conference Finals out in the first round. And Jamal Murray and all those uh, guards that they have on their bench being banged up. I think the injuries are too much for them to prevail. So that puts us at the nice 4-5 Western uh, seeded battle. We got the Los Angeles Clippers versus the Dallas Mavericks. Kawhi and PG on a little redemption tour. Everyone's been hating. They've been load managing, uh, in my opinion. PG's looking well improved. And the Mavericks, again, another young team that have some killers on there. They got Porzingis. You got um, uh, Luka Doncic. You got um, some good firepower off the bench. I do like... What we've seen of Jalen Brunson, but is it going to be enough against a well-veteran, well-coached team? I don't think so. I'm going Clippers 4-2 in this series, and the Mavericks are going to be under fire under their ass, and I think they're going to really be improved next year. I think next year is a year where we see a big leap, but this year, it's just a little early. So in the East, that will be 76ers versus Celtics. I don't have to talk too much about this one. I think this is going to be an even sweep. How are they going to shut down Joel, Embed, Embiid, however you want to say it. They got Ben Simmons. They got um, Seth Curry. Too much firepower here, but I think uh, it'll still be fun. Some good names. I think we'll see some good performances by Tatum, but I think the 76ers beat down the Celtics and take the sweep. Even if the Celtics don't do what the Pacers do, I mean, I still expect a sweep. And then we got the Nets versus the Wizards. Again, Russell Westbrook versus KD and Harden. This is going to be fun on paper, but final outcome, it's not going to be that fun. I got another sweep in the East. I have the Nets going 4-0 as they start building momentum. And if you saw that highlight the other night of that fast court steal, Blake Griffin got the steal, threw it around his back. Can't remember who got it, threw a lob pass to KD and slammed it. That's the kind of shit you can't coach. That's the kind of shit we're about to see. This Nets team with Harden back is going to be scary. But probably the best first round matchup of them all. We got the Bucks. We got the Heat. We got the rematch from the bubble where Miami um, vaulted themselves into the Eastern Conference Finals uh, as Eastern Conference champions and potentially had put Giannis in a position to leave Milwaukee. Well, with Giannis signing, they're getting Drew Holiday. They had some firepower. I think they have enough as Miami's had way too many injuries, some underperformances, 
And some of their young guys I don't think have developed as well as they had expected. Uh, they're going to need guys like Trevor Ariza, who's been on a lot of teams and is a little older. Andre Iguodala to really show up. And I'm not betting on that. I'm going Bucks in seven, and the Heat bench just doesn't really perform. So that's going to be a blast, though. I can't wait to see Jimmy Butler putting it in. I can't wait to see Bam versus Giannis, just like last year. And then we got Knicks versus Hawks. This is another one I've been more back and forth on, which is surprising because I want to pick the Heat, but I, I think that clearly my gut was just like, yeah, the Bucks are going to be with Drew Holiday. I think that makes a difference. Well, the Knicks are going to have home court advantage. Madison Square Garden is going to be bonkers. I saw a tweet that, you know, there was traffic at like 2 p.m. for the one of their last seasons. The Knicks are back. Everyone's going crazy. The, there's life in New York City again, which, you know, I've only been there once and don't know what a dead New York City looks like post, you know, during the pandemic. But I just know that this place is going to be fucking bonkers. But when we look at it, when we look at the rosters, they got, the Hawks got Trey Young, Bogdanovich has performed and has been the guy that they expected him to be. They got Collins. They got a pretty goddamn good core. Danilo Gallinari on the bench. Where the Knicks, it's really Julius Randle. Do I want to bet on the starting unit of the Hawks or Julius Randle? You know, R.J. Barrett's doing pretty well, but he's not at that level yet. And their bench has guys like Alec Burks and Derek Rose who are so streaky. Health's an issue. In a seven-game series, I'm taking the Hawks in seven. 4-3. I think Bogdanovich rolls in this series and Danilo shoots well off the bench. And I just can't trust the Knicks in this situation. But the Hawks are going to get punched in the mouth. The Knicks are going to play classic Nick basketball. But it's still going to get people excited. This is going to be a fun fucking series. But I'm going with the Hawks in the upset on this one. Well, if the play-in games are right, you know, maybe the Lakers do lose to the Warriors. The Lakers get matched up with the Jazz first round. It's going to be tough. I'd have to reconsider my picks a little bit. But assuming that those things do go that way, well, then I have um, the Jazz then playing the Clippers round two, the 76ers playing the Hawks, the Blazers versus the Lakers, Nets versus Bucks. So I'm going to take the Clippers over the Jazz due to this guy's health being uncertain. If you have a healthy Donovan with the three-point shooting matched with the Clippers three-point shooting, I think their defense is a little bit better. But again, this is all PG and Kawhi. This is like their legacy and careers on the line. This is a battle for LA to prove all the haters wrong. I hate to say it, but Kawhi and PG are superstars, right? Especially Kawhi. That man gets, you know, his killer instinct on. I mean, look what he did with Toronto. He basically won a finals by himself and brought Canada a championship. I just can't, in my heart, pick the Jazz over the Clippers. I wish they honestly were playing the Lakers because with the health issues there, I probably would have picked the Jazz over the Lakers. But the fucking Clippers tanking to avoid the Lakers, that puts them in the Jazz right where they wanted them. And I think it's going to be a very close series, probably a seven-game series. And I really do plan on going to Salt Lake City to catching a round two game. You know, it's a little ballsy. They got to win the first round. But I have to see, you know, the one of the better teams in Utah Jazz history in person in that new vivid smart home arena and hopefully this guy brings us to the glory land. Him and Rudy Gobert, Mike Conley, Mountain Mike. It's going to be fun. But I'm taking the Clippers here. I'm taking the 76ers over the Hawks. I think this won't be quite as close as a series. I think the 76ers win probably 4-2. And then the Blazers versus the Lakers. This will be fun. Damian Lillard off an upset, rolling through this. I just don't think the team depth and the defense is going to match that of the Lakers. 
And the further the Lakers get in the playoffs, the more healthy they'll be, the more chemistry they'll have together. And LeBron has more experience as he's played down near to the finals every fucking year. So I'm taking the Lakers here 4-2 as well. And that gives us Nets-Bucks. The only thing that's going to stop the Nets, the Brooklyn Nets, from winning this year's NBA Finals is their defense. But does the Bucks have enough offense? I mean, the Bucks, what's held them back is the capability to score when they need to outside of Giannis. And Giannis, I had shown the last week, is you know, shooting some threes. I think he's trying to see if he could perform at the, the three ball because they're going to need that. I don't think they're going to have quite enough you know, whether the Nets let you score 120, they can score 140 every fucking night. And that quick play with the Blake Griffin back pass behind his back with the lob to KD, we're going to see a lot of shit like that. I'm going to go with the Nets here, but I think this goes seven. And I think this is the, the furthest that the Nets get tested because without Aldridge on that team, Giannis is going to eat. I mean, he is going to eat, but we've seen how many times now that Giannis himself can't get the job done. They would need to see a consistent 25 to 30 points from Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, and I'm not betting on that. I'm just not betting on that. So I'm going to go with the Nets in this one. So that would put us with Lakers versus Clippers in the Western Conference Final. As a basketball fan, that's fun for me. Not wanting the big markets to win, that's fucking worst-case scenario. Um, But then we got 76ers versus Nets. So Lakers versus Clippers, 76ers versus Nets. I'm going Clippers. I'm going Nets. Joel Embiid is going to wreak havoc here, but Ben Simmons can't shoot threes. You're going to need Seth Curry to drop, you know, five, six threes a game. And I'm not betting on that either. So I'm going Nets here. Lakers versus Clippers. I think the Lakers are just too many question marks health-wise. I think their bench isn't as good. And I think Kawhi and PG are the two best players coming into this matchup due to health at this point. And I think Kawhi hasn't really been as injured. It's been a lot more uh, load management. So this is going to be an awesome seven-game series as well. But I feel like this is a Clippers year really because, sure, LeBron wants it every fucking year. AD wants another one, absolutely. But I think these guys need this more and are pushing further to make some things happen. So I'm going to go with the Clips, go into the NBA Finals versus the Nets. What a showdown this will be. Lots of star power, lot, you know, good coaching, just lots of headlines that will be made because the Clippers and Nets really haven't been that relevant, right, the past f- couple decades. They really haven't. Um, within this matchup, though, again, the only thing that's going to stop the Nets from winning an NBA Finals is their defense. But I think they can outscore the unit of the Clippers first season Ah, man, I almost want to change my mind here. I'm just going to go with the Nets. It feels right. I think with Jeff, uh, James Harden coming back and being healthy, those three together, nobody's going to stop them. Typically, teams like this in their first year, though, they fall a little short. So I could see them falling short, um, probably against the Bucks, honestly, over the Sixers. I just feel like Giannis is going to eat. Uh, I don't like the supporting cast outside of Joel on the Sixers as much as I do the Bucks. And then the Clippers definitely have an opportunity to beat them here. But I'm going with the Nets. I mean, KD's only going to get better as he plays more games. And they have KD. People forget KD is still KD. When he's played this year, he's put up fucking buckets. And he's looked really good while doing it. So I'm going to go with the Nets as this year's NBA Finals over the Los Angeles Clippers in a battle of the, you know, the non-typical, prototypical champions. I would love to see that. But hopefully this guy makes the difference and brings Utah there because everybody needs a little Utah Jazz love.
We'll be able to dissect these further and further throughout the playoffs. I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you guys want me to touch up on certain matchups, any questions on these sports, hit me up on the YouTube, you know, hit up my DMs. Would love to have your guys' input and be able to talk things you guys would like to talk about as well. Let's move into baseball. Albert Pujols going to the crosstown rival Dodgers. If you're an Angels fan, these are the worst headlines you could see. This is one of the all-time goats of all baseball. He takes a, a, a whim and signs a 10-year contract. Doesn't perform out st statistically, but what he had provided for Mike Trout and mentorship and guidance to be the player that he is, I think that's been a successful tenure. It really sucks to see him go to the Dodgers, though. That's just like a slap in the face of the Angels or paying him all the money. The Dodgers aren't. He's going to go win a, a World Series in L.A. With, without it being the Angels, and he's probably going to have some clutch hits within the playoffs. That's the one thing I wish I had an opportunity to see as an Angel fan was Pujols deep in the playoffs, clutch time. What could he have done? We'll see this year. We'll see this year. Another break, heartbreaker for the Angels. This happened right before I was about to record. Mike Trout with a calf strain last night. I watched him get gimpy. I was like, oh, he'll be back. He probably won't even go on the IL. Calf strain out six to eight weeks. That's two months. The Angels are already under 500. Might as well ride it off. Hopefully, Otani could win the MVP. He's the only reason I'll be watching. What a brutal headline news for an Angels uh, franchise and fandom. It's going to be a tough season there in um, Anaheim. Some crazy news, too, that I don't know if it's really been talked about that much, but Gleyber Torres testing positive with a COVID outbreak in the Yankees system. He had already had COVID and had the vaccine and still got COVID. So if we all want to hope that the world returns, you know, headlines like that scare the shit out of me. I didn't even know that kind of stuff was possible, especially for a young athlete that's in, you know, professional sports. But tough news for him. I'm, he's on my fantasy team, so I was well aware right away. Yelich back for the third time. He's had three stints on the IL. We'll be interested to see if he could stay healthy as his brew crew is actually doing really well. They see themselves, I still think, atop the division, right? Nope. They're two games back for the St. Louis Cardinals, but they're over 500 at 21 and 20 in second place in the NL Central. They would love to have Yelich's bat get hot. That's for sure. How about the Marlins' new uniforms? A little Cuban flavor. I love the color. They showed Jazz Chisholm with his blue hair, repping it out. I mean, this guy is going to be a superstar. Former Missoula Osprey. Shout out, Osprey. Love to see those guys make their way. But what a sick uniform. I, I, I love it. You know, not, not a lot of big Miami Marlins fans. People that live in Miami, I think, don't think about going to a baseball game as a nice activity in, in South Beach. But... Really cool uniforms. They got some swag. They got some star power. Jazz Chisholm, you got to love the young guy. Uh, but I just wanted to give him a shout-out because those are some swaggy, swaggy uniforms. And then right after Corbin Burns breaks the record for strikeouts without a walk, Garrett Cole beats it. He breaks the record 61 Ks. I think he walked a guy right after as well. Uh, but Garrett Cole, the guy that fell away, if you're an Angels fan, went to the fucking Yankees, is out there pitching like an ace that he is. So last weekend series, the Red Sox beat the Angels 2-1. to one. The combination of J.D. Martinez and Rafael Devers are just continuing to smash the long ball. Otani himself 
Game three, trying to avoid the sweep. I think it was the eighth inning. Gets a two-run dinger to take the lead. He hit another one on Monday. He leads the MLB with 13. Obviously, there's games going at this moment on Tuesday evening. But he was leading the MLB last I had looked with 13 home runs. I had put a bet March 6th, 25 bucks. It wins me like 1,400 bucks that he wins MVP. Right now, the odds are plus 400. I think it was plus 1,400 when I laid the bet. Happy to do it. Love to see it. This guy is must-see TV. Everyone's starting to talk about him and saying he's not talked about enough. This shit you don't see, ladies and gentlemen. The guy crushes balls, throws over 100 miles an hour. He's one of the fastest runners on the base path. He can do everything. And as a baseball fan, you got to love it. Hopefully, athletes like this come around more often, and it builds the sport of baseball, especially in the modern era. The Royals get revenge and beat the White Sox 2-1, to one, the leaders of the AL Central after a pretty tough slump. And then the Rays sweep the Mets as the AL just continues to flex on the NL. Love to see the AL whoop the NL's ass. The Rays, man, they just keep finding ways to win. The Mets are a tough team up top of that NL East division, a very tough division, but the Rays getting work put in. And then the AL beats the NL again as the Blue Jays beat the Phillies 2-1. to one. Vlad Jr., ladies and gentlemen, is a superstar. This guy is performing. He's been the only consistent player within their team. And because of that, they find themselves at 22-17 and with one of the best records in baseball, a game and a half out from the Red Sox to lead the division. The Athletics beat the Twins 2-1. to The Twins just continuing this terrible season. We all thought they'd be a playoff contender. They now sit at 13-26. and with the worst record in baseball. The Angels have a doubleheader with them on Thursday from makeup games. Hopefully we can sweep them there and get some dubs because golly, it's been tough. And then the Mariners beating the Indians three to one. They had their, you know, much awaited debuts of Logan Gilbert and Jared Kalenic. Not very great debut for Logan Gilbert, but Jared Kalenic in a second game goes yard, deep, powerful swing, looking pretty good. Um, you know, about time they called these guys up. But the Mariners, a little bit more fun, a little bit uh, fun to watch, and they have some headlines, and they're still consistently battling in the AL West, third place, but they are right at 500. And then the Padres sweeping the Cardinals, huge sweep in the NL battle as the Padres try to keep pace with the Giants, surprisingly, not the Dodgers, for the lead in the NL West. What sets us up for this weekend series, we got Angels and Athletics, Angels trying to creep back to 500. Athletics trying to create some separation in the AL West as the Astros are right on their heels. We got Red Sox versus Phillies, another fun AL-NL battle. White Sox versus Yankees, two of the top teams, two of the top offenses in the AL, even though um, the White Sox have had some injuries. We have Brewers versus Reds in the NL. Rays versus Blue Jays, a very tough AL East battle as both teams are right on each other's hills. The Cubs versus the Cardinals, big rivalry game, and this will be the Sunday night baseball series to tune into on Sunday night. And another uh, big NL battle, Dodgers versus Giants as the Dodgers try to catch the Giants in the West, and the Giants just keep on impressing. They're one of those teams that just find a way to win. And then a little AL-NL battle, Mariners versus Padres. I don't know if Tatis is back, but there's lots of young talent between the two teams that'll be fun to watch. And we'll end this show on the NHL playoffs. I didn't talk a lot of NHL coming in. 
I love the playoffs, though. You always see seven-game series upsets more than other sports, and it's must-see TV. And my Colorado Avalanche, number one overall seed, just like the Utah Jazz, who would have thunk it? Two teams that you usually don't see perform like that. Man, if the Avalanche and Jazz won, it would make up for the treacherous season of the Steelers losing to the Browns and my Angels looking in the dumps at this moment. Well, St. Louis Blues uh, are going to be without their leading scorer, David Perrone versus the number one Avalanche, which is a heartbreaker for them. If you're an Avs fan, you're like, hell yeah, let's see it. The Capitals are battling the Bruins in the first round. Great first round matchup here. The Capitals took game one on Saturday, but Boston got revenge on game two on Monday, four to three in another tight matchup. I'm taking the Capitals in the series. It it, kind of feels like the Penguins. This is one of their last good runs with with the crew that they have. Boston's a very tough out, but I'm taking the Capitals in this series. We have Islanders versus Penguins. Like I said, I feel like this is the Penguins' last run. They've had a pretty good season put together. The Islanders did take game one on the road, which throws a little wrench in my prediction. Uh, but this is going to be a fun series to see how the Penguins could respond and you know a potential matchup against the Capitals, which would be even more fun. The Minnesota Wild versus the Las Vegas Knights. Las Vegas, a very tough team. I've seen them battle with the Avalanche this season as the scheduling was different with COVID. And the Minnesota Wild, just a very scrappy physical team. I think this is one of the more physical round one matchups that we'll see. The Wild did take game one on the road in overtime. It was only one to zero, so very good first game. And then, so weird, you know, thinking hockey, we have a battle of Florida. We have Tampa Bay Lightning versus the Florida Panthers. Little state battle for Tampa being the defending champions, uh, Stanley Cup champions. Nikita uh, Kukarov with two goals in a high-scoring first game for a victory with Tampa Bay. I'm going to take Tampa Bay in this series, but, you know, it's going to be a fun one for sure. Uh, The defending champions are going to be a tough out this season. We have Carolina versus Nashville. Carolina definitely having a very good season, and I think this will be a little bit easier of a uh, series than the other ones. Uh, Monday, Carolina handled business to you know emphasize that point with a 5-2 victory over Nashville. And then we got the big one, for me anyways, the Colorado Avalanche versus the St. Louis Blues. McKinnon, Nathan McKinnon showing out. What a stud superstar this guy is becoming and leading the Colorado Avalanche. Had two goals in the victory, 4-1 over the Blues last night. Can't wait for game two. I'm taking the Avalanche in this series. I think it would have been really close and hard for me to pick, but without their leading score, I mean, that's that's tough to overcome. We have the Jets versus Oilers game one. It hasn't even started yet. Game one is on Monday. Uh, Winnipeg went 2-8 and eight versus Edmonton. I'm taking Edmonton in this matchup, uh, but another fun matchup in the first round. We also have the Canadians versus Maple Leafs that hadn't started yet. Game one for this series will be on Thursday. Fun little uh, Canadian battle. Toronto whooped the shit out of the Canadians this season, 6-2. to two. I've seen a lot of people pick the Canadians, but I'm going Toronto in this matchup, which gives us round two, Toronto versus Edmonton. I'm going with the Maple Leafs. I'm taking Toronto to continue their winning ways. That would give us Carolina versus Tampa Bay. This is going to be a very fun matchup if this happens. They were 4-4 four four in the regular season to you know add to that. 
But I'm going with the defending champions in this one. They have too many good players, a great defensive line, great scoring unit. I'm going with Tampa Bay for the victory here. And then, you know, I'm not necessarily a Penguins fan. I am a fan of Sid the Kid. He's one of my favorite players of all time. So I do have a, a horse in the race with Pittsburgh. But Pittsburgh versus Washington, some of the last runs of these veteran teams. Watching Sid the Kid versus Ovechkin, this would be fireworks. The Penguins beat the Washington Capitals 6-2, to two, uh, six out of the eight games this season. But I think this would be a blast, and I'm going to go with the Penguins. One last shot, Sid the Kid pushing Ovechkin out of it another time. And then we get a little bit of a divisional battle. A lot of games that we've seen here as well. Colorado Avalanche versus the Las Vegas Knights. 4-4, four and four, dead even during the season. I think McKinnon's really trying to make a push this year and get his team over the top as he knows they're set up for success this year, especially with the awkwardness of COVID scheduling and everything else. So I'm going to go with the Colorado Avalanche, but this is going to be a very tight matchup, and whoever comes out of this is going to be beaten up, that's for sure. So that gives us round three. Toronto versus uh, Tampa Bay. I'm taking the defending champions in this one again. Again, that defensive line and scoring unit is just a little bit too much to overcome. And then Pittsburgh versus Colorado. The, the mixed youth movement of McKinnon and the Avalanche versus the veteran-laden Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm going with my Avalanche to beat them and then beat Tampa Bay um, so they can't repeat as the new Stanley Cup champion, Colorado Avalanche. Obviously, I'm a little biased, but Colorado is the real fucking deal. I can't wait to see what happens if they can deliver and if my Jazz as a one seed can deliver as well. Playoffs are going to be a lot of fun. I love seeing new teams, new faces bring it in. Obviously, I'd pick the Clippers and the Nets as well, but it's going to be a lot of fun. If you're a sports fan, this is a fun time in sports, and we're going to be talking about it all throughout the process of the playoffs. I'll be tweeting about it at Podcast Buckets on Twitter. If you like going on Twitter, follow my feed. Follow me on Podcast Buckets at Gillette55. I retweet each both of both accounts. And, you know, talk shit, mention me, um, reply. You know, if you want me to talk about specific subjects, I'll be putting polls and things out like that as well. But I am more stoked about this year's playoffs because, especially in the NBA, there's usually a team that you know is going to win. I think if the Nets have been together longer, we would already assume that they would win. But this year with the injuries, this being their first year together, we don't know that they're necessarily going to win even though I picked them to win. And then in the uh, Stanley Cup world, I think it's, you know, a lot of teams haven't played each other. Like the Colorado hasn't played the Penguins because of the way the schedule worked out. They didn't get to play as many teams. So there's a lot of teams that really haven't faced each other yet. So that's going to make things a lot more intriguing as well. But that does it for episode 25, Business and Buckets. We'll get some updates next week. Make sure my predictions are correct. And I'll be keep tweeting parlays out there so we could all win some money. Uh, but see you guys next week for episode 26.